Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you haven't been able to make it to one of our campuses and participate in the time of giving, you could do so online through our website or by texting to give so that you can continue to participate in the mission that God has given us. We hope that God speaks to you through this sermon. The earliest time that I remember feeling rejection was in junior high when I didn't make the basketball team. So the first time that I felt rejection was when I was about 10 years old and my sister who I love to play with, she's my big sister, she just turned 13 and she told me that she couldn't play with me anymore because she had to talk with a boy on the phone. So she went in her room and closed her door and I remember in a moment I really felt rejected. I remember feeling rejected when I left a band that I was in and a week later they reformed perfectly. First time that I felt rejection um, was in first grade and I was at a new school and two boys didn't want to play with me because my skin was brown. The first time I felt rejected was in fifth grade. I ran for class president with the slogan, don't be wacky, vote for Jackie. And people chose wacky. The first time I felt rejected was in elementary school. I was the only redhead in my school, and that was before you saw red hair, blue hair, every hair on kids, um, everywhere, and so I was teased for it. Redheads are cool now. Disney's made several, whoo, yeah, there's a redhead out there, or someone who loves redheads. Um, Disney's made several movies about redheads. One of them is almost completely redheads, where the young woman named Merida is like beautiful and super cool. She like wrestles bears, shoots arrows, rides horses. Um, she's amazing, she does cool stuff. Today we have Ed Sheeran, who just put out another uh, brand new song. If you don't have him on Spotify, I guarantee you've danced to him at a wedding. We have Sean White, who's super cool because he just meddles in snowboarding and has a move that he's named the Tomahawk, so he's cool. We have Prince Harry, royalty. Every woman heard Disney music playing in her head the day he married Meghan Markle. But when I was young, redheads were not cool musicians. They were not Disney princesses at all. Um, so when I was teased, I was called names like Howdy Doody. Uh, I was called names like George Jetson, and then my personal favorite, Ronald McDonald. Which are, you know, not really people that you want to be associated with as an impressionable young redheaded girl. Um, there was even a song, Red Red, Wet Your Bed, Wipe It Up With Gingerbread. Right? Kids are creatively mean, you know, even back then. Um, if that wasn't enough, I also had a ton of freckles, my, my skin was really pale, and I had thick brown glasses. I also had something called eczema, so my hands would sweat. And so when I would write in my homework or whatever, they would drip sometimes even, and it would make my paper rip. And um, one year we did uh, square dancing for PE, and uh, this is me in my hand-me-down square, you guys say all like I'm cute, but when you were in second grade, you didn't think so. So I was, that's a hand-me-down square dancing dress that my mom got me from the thrift store or something. So we had square dancing, 
and, which they did that back then. That was part of our PE. And so it was kind of exciting and you're kind of nervous because you're going to touch a boy's hand and oh my gosh. And so we get out there, we go to the multi-purpose room, we do our square dancing, do si all that kind of stuff. And at the end, my partner says, oh my gosh, you guys feel her hands. They're so gross. I was like, thank you, dude. Um, you're going to scar me for the next 15 years. But um, it was awful. You know, it, it, was, it was mean. Um, did I mention, I also had a patch on one eye for a while. Um, not like the Black Pirate patch, it was like this giant Band-Aid, but I mean, you cannot, it's, when you're the red-headed pirate, you just can't be the popular kid. Where are my nerds at, by the way? My elementary school nerds, still nerds? Yes, yes. I was rejected by my peers. Even my teachers, I kid you not, preferred the pretty girls over me. They got to run the mimeograph machine. Who remember, who knows what a mimeograph machine is? I got a picture for you young people so you don't have to pull out your phones and Google it. This is how you used to make copies. When I was looking for this picture, I found a t-shirt you could buy that said, I'm so old, I remember what a mimeograph machine is. <laughs> like, do not buy that for me. But you, that's how you would make copies and everybody wanted to run the mimeograph machine but the pretty popular girls ran the mimeograph machine. I'm not holding a grudge against my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Rapp, by the way, for that. I, I don't even remember it hardly at all. Um, <laughs> little did he know I'd bring it up this many years later in front of a bunch of people. So we often experience rejection for the first time when we're young and we don't like how it feels. Whether you weren't invited to that birthday party and like everyone else in your class was, but you sent the girl the note, do you like me? And she was like, no, check no. Maybe kids teased you on the playground for the color of your skin or the shape of your eyes or how tall you were or short you were or what your hair looked like. Or you brought that A project home and it still wasn't enough to get your parents' approval or get their attention. And then our little minds have to process, someone doesn't like me. Someone doesn't think I'm enough. Someone doesn't want me around. What's wrong with me? And for many of us, uh, it wasn't just playground peers or school projects. It's all we remember. Because our dad really wanted a boy and we were a girl. Or we have memories of waiting for a parent to come get us on their day, and then something comes up and they can't make it again. Or maybe we move from house to house in foster care, not even really aware of how that constant feeling of rejection was gonna shape our heart and shape our mind. Rejection is universal and it hurts. It makes us feel unwanted, it makes us feel unloved, makes us feel like we're not smart enough. And then the older we get, the more complicated it gets because now you have these dating apps where you swipe right if you wanna match with somebody and you swipe left if you don't. And so you swipe right on these people and then they see you and they swipe left. So you can be like rejected by someone who's never even met you. Or you can both swipe right and then you go to coffee or you go out to dinner or something and then you're ghosted. Right, you guys know what this ghosted is? It's just a term of something we've all experienced, but now it's got a term to it. When you're hanging out with somebody and you go to lunch, you go to dinner, you're like, boy, this is going great, and then they, there's just radio silence. Then they just disappear. 
Except they don't, because you can still see them on Facebook and Instagram and see they weren't in an accident, they didn't move to another country, they just aren't calling you anymore, which makes it even better, you know? You're like, I see you, I know you're still here. The fear of rejection keeps us from moving forward in our lives. It keeps us from asking for that promotion. It keeps us from pursuing a dream. It keeps us from reconciling a relationship. And then it becomes like this cruel master. It makes us change how we look. It makes us tweak our personality a little bit, dial it back or change it. It makes us change our beliefs to keep us from feeling that feeling of rejection. Now you might be wondering, why haven't we been talking about big fears, like the fear of death, fear of an active shooter at my kid's school, fear of terrorism, fear of flying? Aren't we just sort of hitting the same nail on the head from a different angle? Failure, insignificance, intimacy, rejection. Well, the fears I mentioned, like terrorism, a lot of those are kind of more circumstantial, right? And a lot of those can be handled if you just turn off the streaming CNN or Fox News that's coming into your home all day long, or you turn off your news alerts that tell you every time there's a tragedy. Those can be stopped by not drilling down to every detail of the tragedy that you read about on the news. You pray for it and you give it to the Lord. A lot of those can be dealt with by just turning off the spigot of fear. But in these first few weeks, God wanted to address these fears that sort of hang around subtly in the background of our lives. They're like wallpaper. You don't really notice them, but they're always there. Fear of failure, fear of not being enough, of being insignificant, fear of getting too close or letting people close, and fear of rejection. These are the things that are driving the world's anxiety epidemic right now. And everyone has these fears in common. One of the saddest stories of rejection in the Bible is of a woman named Leah. But we're going to learn from this story of Leah that even when we are rejected, God has the last word. God has the last word. Leah is 20 years old when a man named Jacob journeys to her father's land. He's just left a very chaotic situation where he has lied to and deceived his ailing and blind dad to receive the, the very special and powerful family blessing that his older brother was supposed to get. So his older brother is furious that he's taken his family blessing. So his older brother is going to kill him, decides I'm going to kill him. So Jacob flees to his extended family, and while he's there, he hopes to find a wife. At that time, marriage to a relative was preferred, and actually the ideal marriage was to that of a cousin. So he goes, he goes to his uncle's land. So as Jacob enters the land, he sees a well near his uncle's uh, household in the field where the flocks are watered, and Leah's younger sister, Rachel, arrives with her father's sheep. And it is always said that it was love at first sight for Jacob. He rolls the stone away, waters her sheep, and then he gives her this kiss of courtesy after confirming that she was in fact his cousin. And then it says he weeps at the providence that God had brought him to this place and to this woman, which I'm pretty sure that happened with my husband too when he saw me for the first time. It's like, thank you, Lord, right? 
Every husband is like, yes, that darling, that was me also. Leah's father, his uncle, warmly greets him and brings him into his home to stay. And he stays there for a month. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 29. Or you can look it up on your app or however you do that. Just don't go stalk that person that didn't swipe right. Just open the Bible app. And before, before I go any further, I do want to welcome those that are watching online. I know someone's at home because you have a new baby. You know what? I'm glad that you're here. Someone's on vacation. I hope you're having a great time and it's awesome that you're watching this right now. Um, someone's home just because it's raining and your slippers. That's amazing. So I'm really glad that you all are here watching this online. I'm going to start on verse uh, 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. So marriages were usually arranged between the oldest male family members within the same clan, within the same group. This ensured the future existence of the group. This ensured like the preservation of their values and their culture. Girls were given in marriage when they were old enough to bear children. And men, once they received their inheritance or had obtained their own resources, then they got married. As, is, as in many cultures, it was common for the groom to pay a dowry um, or to give a dowry, which was kind of purchasing his wife from his future father-in-law, which is a completely different message that I'm not going to go into today. Um, but in the case of Jacob, since he didn't have a dowry, he agreed to work for his future father-in-law for seven years in exchange for a wife. After seven years of work, there's a wedding feast. It's just so much celebration. Um, it lasts a week, and Jacob marries Rachel, except... In the morning, Jacob wakes up, and it's not Rachel in his bed. It's Leah. He hadn't married Rachel at all. He'd married her older sister, Leah, the one with the weak eyes, which we learned just meant they were more pale and not as striking as Rachel's dark eyes. Jacob is furious. Laban explains to him a little too late, we don't marry off the younger before the firstborn. If you agree to work seven more years for me, you can have Rachel at the end of your marriage week with Leah. So at the end of the week, Leah's new husband marries her younger, more beautiful sister. How could that happen? I mean, you have to ask, how can that actually happen? Well, after the wedding, they didn't have lamps and lights. It was dark. Leah was veiled. She was likely in heavy and ornate wedding clothes, and it's possible Laban had instructed her, don't, don't speak at all during the night, or maybe it was just modesty. Jacob was likely encouraged to get drunk at the wedding feast. The word feast in the text literally means drinking party. 
So Laban's like, hey, have another, Jacob, you know, come on over here. In an arranged marriage like this one, it's actually possible Jacob didn't see Rachel or Leah much after the transaction had taken place. While he was working in the field, it's possible he hardly saw them at all. It's not like today where you go on dates and you court and you stalk each other on Instagram for months and then you know all their friends and you look at their friends' accounts and it gets creepy. It wasn't like that. They didn't, not saying any y'all are creepy. Um, they didn't have that. So it's likely he didn't even see them. And by the way, the transaction only happened between the men. Oftentimes the women weren't involved at all. So poor Leah may have been under the impression the entire time that she was Jacob's choice from the beginning. She may have just assumed, I'm the oldest, so of course I'm the one getting married. A second darker scenario is that Laban forced her into this situation because he saw it as a way to get his oldest daughter married off. And it was her duty to obey him. That was her only option. We don't know what kind of relationship Leah had with her sister. We have no reason to believe it wasn't a great relationship. It's likely she wouldn't want to hurt her in this way. How demoralizing and shameful to wake up in the morning and face the rejection and face Jacob and face her sister. Regardless how she ended up there, Leah did in fact face a painful rejection. It was clear that she was not good enough and she was not wanted. When we feel the deep cut of abandonment or rejection, it can leave a hole in our identity that we spend decades trying to fill. It can also leave us feeling very bitter and very insecure. The fear of rejection steals your voice so you don't speak up. You can even be in an abusive relationship or there's infidelity involved and you stay quiet because you don't want that person who's actually hurting you to abandon you or reject you. So you don't speak up. It keeps you from stepping into God's plans and taking risks. Like Steve said last week, it keeps you from intimacy and there can be people that are desperately trying to get into your locked up heart to show you love and acceptance, but it's too risky, it's too painful. And you feel like nobody understands how I'm feeling, nobody gets what this rejection has done to me. Nobody knows what it's like to be this rejected. Isaiah 53, three says this, the prophet says, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus knew rejection. Do you know that there was one time where Jesus did miracles, and then he cast out some demons, and the, it says the whole town came and told him to leave. Get away. We don't want you. Jesus felt the pain of rejection all the way to the cross to set you free from living in its bondage. God understands rejection. 
He knows what it's like to pour everything into a people over and over and then have them reject you over and over. If you're dealing with a painful wound of rejection today, let him into that place. He understands. And he's the only one that can heal that place in your heart. And for some of you, that place is coming up right now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. God will go to that six-year-old in you, that 10-year-old, 15, 25, 45. He'll go to that 50-year-old in you and he will heal up that area where you took on the identity as reject. And then he's gonna pour into the assurance that because he's enough, you're enough. No matter where the enemy has tried to dismantle your life, or break your confidence through rejection, know that God loves you. And God has the last word. Leah's husband did not love her or want her. That's clear up to this point. And in verse 30, it actually says, indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah. And because she was so unloved, it says God has favor on her. And she conceives first. Man's rejection is no match for God's favor. God's favor is big and powerful and for you, there is no contest. Over the next couple of chapters, Leah and Rachel basically have a womb war to outbirth each other because it's this big honor and privilege to bear children for your husband. Leah has four sons in a row and she desperately hopes it will make Jacob finally see her value, see her worth and finally love her. Her fear of more rejection is actually revealed in the name she gives her sons. The first son she has, she names him See, a son, or Reuben. And she says, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Her second son she names Herd, or Simeon. And she says, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. And the third son she names Attached or Levi. Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. I have to wonder if at some point Jacob wasn't like, so Leah, I was just thinking, just spitballing here, but maybe I can name the next one. You know, these are kind of not reflecting well on me, so I'd like to throw my hat in the ring and name our next son. Leah's rejection saturated her life, filling her with the fear of more rejection, which is what it does. And it impacted every relationship. When we fear rejection, we go to great lengths to earn approval. We have to fit in, we have to make everybody like us. We have to look right for everyone and act right for everyone, and it's exhausting. And it's not always personal rejection like Leah. Sometimes it's just that rejection that gets in the way of your life's plans. You have a way things are supposed to go and things that you need to have happen and rejection gets in the way. You didn't get into the college that you wanted. Your, your apartment application was denied. You interviewed for that promotion and they chose someone younger, someone less experienced. You have a room waiting for an adopted child, it is ready. And every time you think you're close, another door closes. It leaves you wondering, what's wrong with me? Where are you, 
God, why did you let this happen? Here's the truth I want you to hold on to the next time a door shuts in your face. God has the last word. God has final say. Watch what happens when Leah has her fourth son. Verse 35 says, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. And she named him Judah, which means praise. Do you see the shift? Four years in, Leah has changed her heart's focus from trying to earn Jacob's approval to resting in God's approval. She praises the Lord for the gift of her son separate from her husband's reaction. She, she's not gonna factor that in anymore. She's not gonna factor in his rejection. She's not gonna, it's like, I'm gonna praise the Lord for the blessings that he's given me. The last three weeks, we've been kind of creating this safety net for you to fall into when you get hit with fear and you start to fall. Week one, God is with you. Week two, we, we learned God sees you. Week three, God loves you. And this week, God has the last word. And you take any fear and you hold it up next to those and it can't stand. God is bigger and his plans are bigger than any rejection you will ever face. When a door closes, it, God sees it, and he is already working behind the scenes. Do you believe that? Instead of seeing it as rejection, you can see it as redirection. Because God will take every yes, and he will take every no in your life, and he will use it to get you where he wants you to be. Even when it seems like he's silent, he is never still. He doesn't sit stunned at a closed door or a lost opportunity. He's the God of the universe. Even when somebody shuts the door on you and you know, like, that was so in your own free will and that was disobedient to the Lord, like, you know that that was something they did on their own and it is now impacting you and it is hurting your life. God still has the last word. The Bible says that our God holds the hearts of kings in his hand like channels of water. He directs them where he wants them to go. He can direct the hearts of people in your life. He will make a way where there is no way. That's who he is. He's the streams in the desert God. He's the opens doors no man can shut God. He's the part the sea God. Don't underestimate his power and don't underestimate the length of his arm to reach down and move things around on your behalf because he does, he will. When you understand that God has a plan and that he can promote you and open doors for you, you don't get so caught up in the rejections. When you really grasp who your God is, closed doors don't affect you. You get kind of jazzed up like, God, I wonder what you're gonna do. Our landlord called, honey, and said that he's selling our house, so we're gonna have to find some place to go. Oh, God, what are you gonna do? You don't panic. God knows we need a house. He's gonna do something. I can't wait to see how he shows up for this one. 
So when the offer on your house isn't accepted, or you don't get the job you wanted, or that person that you really felt like was the one breaks it off, it doesn't break you. It doesn't, your trust doesn't take a hit. You don't fall apart when rejection happens, and you don't fear it. You say, well, I guess God has something or someone better. A better fit, better for me, better for his plans, something worth waiting for. When you are facing rejection, follow the advice of a famous contemporary philosopher who once said, because the player's gonna play, 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 play. (laughs) And the haters, they're gonna hate, 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 hate. Baby, I'm just gonna shake, 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 shake. Shake it off, shake it off, right? It's possible Taylor Swift actually got that from the Gospels. (laughs) Seriously, because Jesus, when he sends his disciples out to spread the, the good news, he says, if you go into a town and they reject you, shake their dust off your feet. One of the accounts says, go into the street and say, I'm shaking your dust off my feet. Some of you need to do that with someone. Shaking the dust off my feet, you know? Shake it off. Rejection often has nothing to do with you personally. You get that? What is it called when there's an organ transplant and the body doesn't receive it? It's called rejection. That organ is perfectly fine. It's perfectly healthy. In fact, it's what the body needs. It's what's gonna keep the body alive. But the organ gets rejected. Sometimes you're gonna be rejected and it has nothing to do with you. And that's gonna set somebody free today. It's time to stop living in the shadow of that rejection because it had nothing to do with you. So shake it off and move forward in the life God has for you. As a child, rejection turns our world upside down because we just don't know any better. It just rocks us. But as an adult, we know better. We should because we know our God. We know his love for us. We know our identity as his son and his daughter. We also believe that someone's no can't keep us from God's yes. Do you believe that? We bring all rejection to God and we say, God, I don't get this. I don't get what's going on. This hurts. I don't know what you're gonna do. But I trust you and I know it's going to be good. And then fear loses its grip. In Genesis 50, 20, we find one of Jacob's son that he has with Rachel. His name is Joseph. He's betrayed and rejected by all of his older brothers and he's actually sold into slavery. But like David writes in the Psalms, Promotion comes from the Lord, comes from above. And Joseph is promoted again and again until he's in this place of prominence and power. Man's rejection can't keep you from God's promotion. In fact, sometimes it's in man's rejection that God's promotion actually begins to percolate and grow. It's the soil where it starts to grow from. Listen to what Joseph tells his brothers when they're reunited 13 years after they've sold him. He says, as for you, 
You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Max Licato explains that when Joseph told his brothers, you meant evil against me, the Hebrew verb for meant traces its meaning to weave or plate. And plate is just a fancy word for braiding, okay? So he's saying, you wove evil, but God rewove it for good. Satan weaves, God reweaves. Rejection can make you feel unraveled, completely undone. I know, I've been there too. But take heart, God is the master weaver. He will repurpose even the worst of man's intentions. He will take the frayed threads that you hold in your hands and he will reweave a redemption story like only he can do. Did you know that Jesus came through the lineage of Leah's fourth son? Jesus came through the lineage of the rejected one. He was born through the tribe of praise, her fourth son, Judah. God had the last word. Someone here today, you were told last week you didn't get the job. Someone else, last week you were served divorce papers and you're hurting, let me tell you that God has the last word when it comes to your life. You can trust him. I'm gonna wrap up with this thought. Fear of rejection makes you ask permission to do things. We kind of treat it like Siri. You say, hey Fear, should I call my sister? And Fear's like, nope, she's never gonna forgive you for what you did. Don't even bother, she'll hang up on you. Hey Fear, should I go back to college? No, <laughs> at your age, are you kidding? You'll look ridiculous. You're gonna be around a bunch of 19 and 20 year olds. You're too stupid anyway. No, you absolutely don't wanna do that. Everyone's gonna look at you, no. Hey Fear, should I take that risk that God's calling me to do and kind of step out of the boat? Oh no, that's a hard pass. You're absolutely going to fail. Do whatever it takes to avoid rejection at all costs. Why are we listening to fear? I was invited to go to Israel last year and teach and I, and I treated, it was like, hey fear, should I go to Israel? And fear's like, no, you hate flying, that's a long flight and you know, that's scary and there could be terrorist attacks and no, 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 stay home. And my husband's like, if fear told you not to go, I need you to pray about that. Fear will always tell us not to do it. Fear of any form is a liar. It will tell you all the lies that have been said about you are true. It will tell you rejection is the end of the story and that's simply not true. If you are alive, you have survived rejection and you will again. Michael Jordan didn't make the varsity basketball team the first time he tried out in high school. Steve Jobs was once pushed out of Apple and when he returned, Apple was a struggling company and he turned it into everything we know it to be today. He was the face of Apple. Steven Spielberg was rejected from USC film school three times. Apparently his parents didn't wanna pay the put him on the crew team package and, uh, and bubble wrap him from feeling any sort of rejection from his school of choice. 
Leah's story didn't end with rejection and neither, neither will yours. For many of us, our next step is gonna be forgiving that person or people that rejected us. When I was in seminary, I was getting prayer one day and I rejected by name every kid that was mean to me in elementary school. I can't explain how it happened, but it changed my whole mindset by forgiving them. We have to forgive them. Whether it was a family member or a kid in sixth grade who said you were ugly or fat or nerdy or too tall or your hair was too curly or whatever it was, Aren't you tired of letting that person affect how you live your life? I know someone who's in her 60s that won't wear her hair in a bun because in middle school, a boy told, he made fun of her neck. So basically, a 60-year-old is letting some 12-year-old punk kid tell her how to wear her hair. And I know we all have situations like that. We can't, it's time to be like, that's enough. It's time to let go and release them. Like, I reject your rejection. How's that? God tells me I'm enough. Leah stopped living in the shadow of rejection and she turned to praise. For many of us here today, it's time to do the same. The rejection is long gone, but we're still bound in its shadow. It's not even here anymore, but we're in its shadow. But as God has forgiven us, we forgive them and it paves the way for our freedom. In just a moment, uh, we're gonna have communion. And during the song, they're gonna pass out the elements. Please don't leave. This song was specifically chosen for this moment and this message. Hold on to the elements and we're all gonna take them together at the end. And before I pray, I wanna remind you that there's gonna be people up here, a prayer team to pray for you. I know for many of you, this has brought up wounds from your childhood and wounds from last week. Come up and get prayer. Cornerstone has counselors on staff and volunteers that are available to meet with you because sometimes just talking about that, putting light on it, takes away its power. And so I wanna encourage you to utilize those resources that we have. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you that you, you know us and you see us and you love us. Thank you that in our lives, nothing goes by without your notice. And you see every no and every yes, and you weave it into your plan for our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for how you faced rejection. You took it all the way to the cross for us so that we could be fully accepted by God. We never have to know what it feels like to be rejected by God because you took that for us. So Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and just rest on us as we listen to the truths of this next song. Let it be a balm that goes to the places in our heart that have been wounded and cut. And I know that you will bring healing and restore joy to many hearts this morning. Amen. <laughs>